This is the inadvisable trapdoor. Well, bit too spooky for me. Inadvisable trapdoor. I see you have your computer linked to the telephone line. Can you tell us how you did that? Oh, it's like the eighth wonder of the world. This podcast is sponsored by Roofs. If there's nothing on the top of your house, get a roof. Now available in cream.
Today, we're going to talk about nipples. Uh, just get your giggling out of the way. Get all your giggling out of the way. There's nothing mucky about nipples. There's nothing to giggle about. There's nothing rude or mucky about nipples. So, nipples are a bomb part of everyday life. None of you would be here today work for nipples, so it's important for us to understand both their function and their place in one's life. This podcast is sponsored by Roofs. If it rains on you when you're in bed, get a roof. Now available outside the Greater Bromley area, but not Wadden. The Inadvisable Trapdoor. Sir? Yes, Lieutenant? I'm scared, sir. My mom loved horror movies and horror books. She was a touch witchy and a touch psychic. Some really clear memories that I have from my childhood. There was one summer where she and my cousin got really involved with a Ouija board. And they would never talk about it. Apparently things got very scary and they had to burn the board. They were watching a home shopping network and my cousin stood up, pointed to the television and said, death to thee and walked out of the room and came back 20 minutes later and while she was gone the woman who was on the phone for the home shopping network started crying and saying that she wanted to end her life and my mother was like what did you do and my cousin was like what are you talking about i went downstairs and so they were like cool we're gonna burn this ouija board and we're this is fucked up so um so i grew up in a kind of spooky household I was obsessed with the Fear Street books when I was probably around like 10, 11, 12. The opening prologue of one of the books, a young woman is sitting in what I didn't know at the time was a pentagram. And she's sitting in it and she's like trying to levitate or something like that. And I was like, I want to do that. So I, at you know, 10 years old, went out to my driveway and drew probably like 10 or 15 pentagrams on the sidewalk. (laughs) And I was sitting in these pentagrams trying to levitate and float and it didn't work. And then my dad, who was also a musician, he came home from a gig and he was like, holy shit, (laughs) just took the, the hose and just sprayed the like 15 pentagrams off of the sidewalk in front of our house. And he was like, hey, so... Don't do that. <laughs> I always wanted Catholic Church to be magic. I used to pray to God to either turn me into a mermaid who could then walk on land 
or to give me the powers to fly. And it never worked. Have I told you about the leprechaun that lived in our house? You know, when you're a teenager and your parents go to bed and you're up and you're on your computer on AIM chatting with your friends or you're watching a movie or whatever you're doing, I would be sitting by myself and out of the corner of my eye, about this three foot tall, the only word to describe them is a leprechaun, like a sort of brownish, like almost looked like the the little demon from Stephen King's Cat's Eye movie. Um, so, you know, about three feet tall, he would come and stand in the doorway of whatever room I was in, and I would look at him, and then he would run away. And I never felt scared by him. Kind of like the same energy of, like, if you have a golden retriever, and it comes and it stands in the doorway, and it, you acknowledge it, and then it runs away. And I just saw this creature for, I don't know, years? It was a physical being, like there, there was mass to it. One day, we had two of my friends over for dinner and the leprechaun shows up in the kitchen and my mom and I both look at it and then we both look at each other and we both were like, oh my God, have you been seeing it too? And everyone was like, what are you talking about? And we both go, the leprechaun. They separated the two of us. They put my mom in her room and me in mine. And they interrogated both of us. And they were like, flip open the pages of this book and show us what he looks like. And we both picked out the same stuff. And then he never came back. We like Rumpelstiltskin him or something. And I'm kind of sad. Like I kind of, I'm like, well, what was it? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I had my first actual religious experience in a Ganesha temple. There were hundreds of people just all clamoring toward this sliding door built into the wall. And in the, the room that the door opened to, there was a giant Ganesha statue. There was music playing and, and, and drumming and they would open the door briefly and you would see Ganesha and then they would throw flowers on him. And there was hundreds of people all chanting and sending their energy toward it. And then they would close the door. And then they would open the door again and then they would pour milk on him and then they would close the door and it was just this build and build and build and build of just this ecstatic energy it just blew my mind and I felt blissful I kind of carried that with me and that was one of the first times where I tapped into sort of what I think of as magic people and energy and intention and theater and ritual is that's that's the key that feeling and i'm actually really putting these pieces together now that that energetic feeling that drive that group 
you know, sending feels like the way that I talk about how I feel when I'm singing. When I'm on stage and I'm in front of hopefully hundreds of people and having that energetic exchange with the audience where like I'm building a thing and I'm giving you my energy and it's coming from way deep down and I'm sending it out and you know what are you giving back and what am I giving back to you and what are we creating together that that to me feels like the the deepest truest magic that I can create I don't know how I feel about gods. I don't know what I think they are. I feel like either there's nothing and this is all stories we're telling ourselves, which is completely fine and it still gives us, you know, purpose and drive because, you know, we have to make up reasons for why the sun keeps coming up in the morning. Or are the gods distillations of archetypes? Or are they real things? Doesn't actually matter. During 2020, you know, both of my parents got COVID and they both ended up dying from it. My mom passed first and then my dad passed about a month and a half later. During that time, I was very heavy daily ritual. I was pulling a card or two or three every day. And the cards were spot on accurate about you know a day or two before um, it was like it's happening and then again you know later on a couple like a month or so later when my dad passed same thing like it's happening after those experiences I, I actually put down my cards for a long time because you know them being so spot on and being like ah okay who boy <laughs> you know so This podcast is sponsored by Roofs. My house used to get full of chip wrappers and that, and a hen came in. Now we've got a roof. We've never been happier. Roofs, now available in the north. As I went to get on the train... A woman in a high-vis jacket moved towards me and 
tried to help me with my luggage. I said, it's okay. I've got it. It's heavy. I've got it. And then she said, mind your steb. And I said, you mean mind my step and she shook her head and she pointed just just behind my shoulder I turned my head and looked and there was nothing there She pointed again, really insistently, with this look in her eye, a look I've, a look I've never seen before. Really pointing, just behind my shoulder. I looked again, but this time I didn't turn my head. I just moved my eyes and there it was just behind my shoulder bigger than anything I've ever seen a complete absence of light teeth claws hatred my Steb, always there, somehow, I knew it had always been there, just out of sight, just beyond the tail of my eye, just behind my shoulder, a complete lack of love, so inhuman, my every regret, my every mistake, my every waking, panicked thought, always there, always behind me, just out of sight. My Steb. Crawl round in 
What are your neighbours up to? Where does your boss go in the evenings? Who's that man your sister's seen? Send anonymous information to us at the National Information Scheme. The National Information Scheme. Snitch is a horrible word, which is why we use it. Advisable trapdoor. Courage isn't just a matter of not being frightened, you know. What is it then? It's being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway. In the autumn of 1888, the East End of London was in the grip of a monster. A nefarious killer whose name would echo through history like an enormous bell. Jack the Ripper. The most significant fact about this murderer is that they were never caught. Their identity has remained a mystery until now. The Inadvisable Trapdoor presents Winston Churchill was Jack the Ripper. A true crime podcast investigation by Andrew O'Neill. Episode 1 Jack the Ripper. Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, Mary Kelly. Five women, brutally murdered in the same area of East London, between August and November 1888. Their killer was never found, and it's safe to say that even if we found him now, he'd almost certainly be too old to stand trial. Who was Jack the Ripper? Was it Queen Victoria's doctor? Was it a famous painter? Was it a time-travelling Fred West? Was Jack the Ripper a mutated dog, walking on its hind legs, holding a specially adapted dog dagger? Was it Keith Richards? Was it Dracula? Is Keith Richards Dracula? That would explain a lot. Was Jack the Ripper a sentient knife with a grudge? Was it the so-called tolerant left? Was Jack the Ripper Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee? Was it Dave Benson Phillips from CBBC's Is That a Fact? Was it the First World War? Were the women abducted by aliens or by Hamburglar? Was Jack the Ripper the fictional Victorian detective Sherlock Holmes? Was it tectonic activity 
causing knives the victims were carrying about their persons to resonate like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Was it all the men who write books about Jack the Ripper? I mean, it, it might as well have been. Do you know what I mean? Was it suicide? Was it the New York experimental proto-punk band Suicide? Was it Captain Birdseye? Was it Fu Manchu? Was it the Foo Fighters? Was it colonialism? Was it Vincent van Gogh? Was it the Luddites? Was it open field farming techniques? Was Jack the Ripper early jazz? Was it the music hall star Mary Lloyd? Was it a virus? Was it Fenians or anarchists? Was it the teenage mutant hero Turtles? Was Jack the Ripper a volcano that had been turned into a man by a passing mystic, but which had to vent its volcanic gases and lava every few months, and had very little control over how and where this happened, and somehow this was mistaken for wounds made by a knife, and the human volcano was so mortified by the destruction it had brought about, he threw himself into the sea, only to be turned into a boat, which was cursed always to sail beyond the horizon, so it never saw sight of land. Was it kids? Was it gang violence? Was it witches? Was it a sort of mist? Was it a clerical error? Was it mice? Was it Hulk Hogan? The shocking answer is no. It was none of these. After studying all the available literature, one common trait emerges among the majority of suspects. Most of them are well known. This was my starting point. Who is famous who was alive at the time? Alive at the time may seem unimportant, but let us not forget Philip Schofield. Not born until 1962, but if he's that desperate to see a dead lady, that he will jump a queue. But no, it was Winston Churchill, once voted the hundred greatest Britons. Winston Churchill was 12 when the murders began. Join me next week when I unravel the circumstances that turned the 100 greatest Britons, Winston Churchill, into a murderer. No, I think the horses make it sound Victorian. No, leave them in. Sounds authentic. The inadvisable trap door sat on your chest when you wake up, unable to move, unable to scream or make a sound. All you can do is stare into the eyes of the inadvisable trapdoor. A waking nightmare that lasts forever. The inadvisable trapdoor is written and produced by me, Andrew O'Neill.
The full interview with Merry Widow about leprechauns and the occult is available on my Patreon, patreon.com slash androneal. Please consider supporting me if you enjoyed this podcast, perhaps for the price of a pint a month. Not like an expensive IPA, but you know, like a Guinness in like a normal, like a normal pub. I run my Patreon on a per thing basis and I aim to put out four things a month, two podcasts and a film and a roundup of the month. If you can't afford it, if you're skint, then God, please don't give me any money. But if you can afford it, please do. And please also look up Merry Widow and her band Water Sicket and the Army of Broken Toys. They're a great band and she's a great performer. Thanks also to Tom Tuck who joked about my dog's nose. You can look him up. Turly God on social media. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word, like and subscribe and all that sort of thing. Leave good reviews. But mainly tell other people about what lies behind the inadvisable trap door.